Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Contingent Workforce Radio brought to you by Upmost. Upmost brings you visibility for your entire extended workforce in a system that natively integrates with Workday. Today, we have yet again, Erica Novak, Head of Client Services at Upmost, and we are continuing our series. What we plan to be a three-part series has now expanded into a, I don't know, Erica, 27-part series on setting up your first program. (laughs) There's a lot to do. There's a lot of different things to take into consideration. You can't forget the foundation. So you asked me to do a three-part series, and it's going to get a little longer. We can't yeah, it, it, I, the initial list uh, that we were going to start out with was uh, 20,000 projects to start. So we're going to start instead with just six. I'm going to start with six, and then over the course of the series, we can cover the other 19,994 topics. But I think this is a, at least a good initial start of setting up operations, early stage projects, some of the foundational elements. For those of you who did not join the last time or listen to our last podcast, please go back and listen to it. This is part of a series, but the last time we chatted, we talked about some of the principles that are core to even thinking about setting up or thinking about new projects. One was your program has to be for this company. It's not about bringing the playbook from your old company. Your success is your manager's success is principle number two. Principle number three, construct with the realistic mindset of what's doable, what's feasible. Principle number four, relationships matter. And principle number five, uncovering the current state of your current program. So those are the principles that you should be thinking about before you even begin some of those early stage projects. But now we're actually going to dive into what some of those initial projects could be. And Erica, any color around the... What what to be thinking about for these first six projects? Like, what is the stage of a company, or what stage of a type of contingent workforce program owner might be? Might these six initial projects be most interesting for? Yeah, when you made me cut my list of ten thousand down to six, by the way, I think how I chose these was really when I was thinking about putting myself in the shoe of a really new contingent workforce program owners. Maybe you've never done it before. Maybe it was your part time job. Maybe you come from a different position. Uh, So folks who are new or early kind of in their programs, right? So it's either you're newer to the role, you're new to this program, or you're looking for a refresh on some foundational building blocks. Do I actually know? Have I done these things before, right? A lot of contingent program owners, the, the, where they come in the life cycle of the program, like berries, right? So I think again, newer to the program, newer to the role, or wanting to kind of go back to the basics. I think these these six things will, none of them are rocket science. The wonderful thing about contingent workforce, it's all very learned, but just making sure you're doing it methodical. But I think that's the, that's the right audience for this session. And so I, I'll say this, if, if you're expecting to hear about building requirements for an RFX or an RFP or system implementations, contract negotiation, prep, coalition building, operational models, that's not what this session is going to be. We are going to cover that, but this one's going to be much more of like laying the foundational roadblocks. It's going to be like the, the six things that we all need to buy, right? Because that's <laughs> that's the first things that you need to do is just ah, buy. No, buying is not necessarily strategic. Coming to a program and saying I should buy this system or this service or this whatever doesn't actually make you a good program. So. No one can tell on the on the, the line, but I'm sticking my tongue out, out at Saad because he knows that drives me crazy. The projects that I'm actually listing right now are things that you can do. You don't need to have additional budget. This is something that your team can do. This is something that you yourself alone can do. 
usually in, in relationship or partnership with people on your company, but it's meant to be a, you have no money, you've never done this, you're not getting a ton of help. How do you actually start? Why is it important? And so, and these are likely things that are actually going to help you if you do want to buy or procure a service or a system. This will actually help you understand what those should be. Got it. Shall we get into the first of the six or anything to kind of guide us or, you know, in terms of prioritizing and looking at some of these six, any framework around them or you want to just jump in? Uh, Yeah, I, I think I would say, and this is simple for most anything that you do at a job right, is you don't do a project for project's sake, right? No one's looking like you're not curing boredom, right? You're part of an operational arm. So really making sure you understand the purpose and the goal of the projects. We're going to do this so we can see X, right? It also helps you set prioritize and setting a goal, right? So a really easy example is we're going to do this project because we don't know if we're breaking a law in this country. It's going to get people's attention real quick, right? But making sure you understand kind of why you're doing something and how how it pushes forward to a future state. And so therefore I can do X or therefore we save this money or therefore we keep compliance. It's going to help make sure your managers know and understand why you're putting the time and effort, why you're asking for other people's uh, help. And then thirdly, I think it's important is why you may need headcount, right? So if you would have come to your boss with a list of 10,000 projects I had, they say, ah, I can't do this myself. I may need headcount. And that could be help, right? It doesn't have to always be a new headcount. It could be other people on your team. It could be uh, lower level people who I always, a huge proponent of like junior resources who are go-getters, who are trustworthy, who don't know what they kind of want to do in life yet, but they know that they want to achieve and make impact. It's a great way to leverage a headcount you already have and create career mobility for someone and actually kind of share share the loaf. So like never refuse interns or coordinators or people looking to grow. It's a way to kind of share experience amongst the team, but actually get some help on the 10,001 projects that eventually I will share. But again, I go back to know why you're doing the project and how it pushes your company forward. And that's going to help you prioritize where to start. Perfect. I think that sets it up clearly of and don't do projects just for projects sake. I, I love that. That we're gonna list six projects. Just don't don't do them because it's like six things to do. You could say yeah. Eric Novak told me to. I gotta do six. She said I had to, so I gotta check it off. But I don't think they're going to care as much. So yeah, have a purpose. Yeah. It usually doesn't work for all business cases to write in this podcast host told me to <laughs> do this project. But you never know. All right, let's get in. Let's get into it. If I had sound editing skills, this would be where I'd put in like the top six, but I don't. So we're going to go into it right at, right, right out of the gate. It's number six or number one. All right, let's do this. And let's lean into the last of the, the five principles we shared the last session, right? And it's really about understanding your current state and making sure you cut out all assumptions, right? So when I think about the first project. It's simple and it's boring, but it really is about process mapping. What the HE double hockey sticks is going on today and really making sure you understand. So there's a couple of things you can do. And again, I think most people who've heard me speak recognize that I'm a big believer that the contingent workforce program should understand all of the non-employee workflows. So it's not just about what's going on with temporary workers, but that may be where you start, right? So how are you onboarding? How are, sorry, first, how are you recruiting contractors, right? How are you onboarding them? How are you payrolling them? What staffing suppliers do you have? 
What are you doing with consultants or professional services? What's the process for outsourcing? What are you doing with independent contractors? How are you provisioning or deprovisioning? How are you immediately terminating folks? How are you requesting funding? How are you adding a vendor? What approvals are need? What do you have as exception processes? What are common? Start to put together what this actually looks like for a manager. And also make sure you understand all the different people who are responsible or, and who are on it, right? Usually that's a great way to understand what the, where the gaps are. Or, ah, I thought this was happening, but it's not. One of the big components of, of process mapping, usually you find the assumptions that other teams had about each other. Oh, I wasn't doing that. I thought that you were. You're not? Who is? No one is, right? But you start to learn a lot in a good way. Everyone assumes everyone's doing a phenomenal job at the deepest level. And what you learn is everyone's scraping by as quickly as possible, right? And so making sure you understand as an owner of a contingent workforce program, how the different classifications that your team looks at, how that actually, how, what that life cycle looks like, is going to help you understand how to build futures process. So what I just said was don't have a project for project's sake, right? Current state process mapping and gap analysis can help you lead to what that future state looks like and what that roadmap. And how do you prioritize, right? As you're a smaller program, you may have a process in mind and it's not the best, but maybe it's, maybe it's good enough because another classification has no process. So where I thought my, my, my OKRs or what I thought my goals was going to be on this one classification, let's just say contractor, maybe it needs to be about that statement of work process and you helping to bridge the gap between what's going on with procurement, contract management, strategic sourcing, a third party outsourcer that's doing things. Maybe that's where your attention needs needs to be. So for me, again, when I think about current state, mapping out those processes, and it doesn't have to be to the level a consultant does. So where I hear on this is, ah, do I need you know a consulting company come and do this for me? The short answer is you can if you have that budget to that level, right? But this is something that you can do and not have to, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of workflows and Visio and a picture, you know, it, 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 it speaks a thousand words to folks, but you can just write this out. At the moment, it's just for you, right? At the moment, it's just for you. And then of course, I'm like, use freelancers, right? Use contingent to actually get this done. But this is something that you can do just through conversations, have conversations and you have to put it together. Okay. So my understanding is this, all right, procurement, HR said that they were doing this and they thought you were doing this, share what you're going on. but it helps with, with relationship building because you're asking what's going on. You're not judging them though. Recognize that where you are in different, every contingent program and every company is in different levels. So it needs to come through where you're not putting them on the defensive. You're not saying, oh, you're not doing these nine things. I thought, right. You're seeking to understand. You're just wanting to put a process flow together. And guess what? You're doing the work. Make sure that they recognize you're happy to do this. And when you're done, happy for you to give it to their team. Make it a win for them. Hey, I have this. Should we do this in other areas, right? They'll spend the more time with you when they feel like they have a, a finished product that you're going to give them that they can actually get credit for. And that's okay, right? Be that partner that actually takes care of that. But having a full understanding of what that happens is really important. Now, it gets more complex when you get when you go global because what you may be doing in the United States may be different than Japan, different than Israel, different Brazil, and that's where it starts to feel overwhelming. There's no way I can do this. And this is, we talk about bite-sized chunks. It's okay to say, here's what I'm going to do for U.S. Or U.S. buying in global whatnot. Chunk it out first because usually there's some sort of straw man approach. Right? Typically, if there's a system in place 
technically works the same in most places, or there's no process in place. And the manual process is roughly the same in everyone. So start with where you are. Start first where like, I know the people, I can see them. I feel comfortable with the language. I feel comfortable in the politics and the culture. And then look to build out from there, right? And potentially you start to say, here's what we do here. Does this match to somebody else? And then you just change what you have right? In Japan, Israel, Singapore, Australia, you know, you name it. Then it becomes making edits to what you already have in place versus building from scratch for each country. And again, there's different ways to bite-sized chunk, but it's really important to understand what's happening in your world today to understand how you can actually impact for the future of what your eyes are trying to build. So that's project number one. Got it. And I think it makes sense that that you're, you're, you're kind of asking that, them to help you create the processes, but you're not asking them to create the process maps your, themselves that obviously they don't want to do any additional work. And then I think also just by you doing it yourself, you'll probably uncover things that they may have skipped over or may seem very obvious to them, but you will have the full picture, full visibility, and you'll be able to just standardize it when you're doing the process map and trying to get all these different teams to do it themselves. Exactly. And, and depending on how mature, you know, your company is, they may have something they may have had procurement is known for they had they got the consultants to do it. So if you can leverage something that they already have in place, say fantastic. However, I, I will say don't let them just say here they are, have someone walk them through with you, right? And then say when were these when were these done? I've had a lot of process maps handed to me and they like these were five years old. I'm like, Oh, is this how it works? No. Okay. Let's talk about what's changed or whatnot. But you're exactly right. Like the goal is not to put more work on their plate. If you say, please design, please draw and design your process in the next month, guess what's going to happen next month? They're not going to do it. They are incredibly busy. But this is a phenomenal way to start building the relationship of where contingent takes work off people's plate, where you say, hey, this is fantastic, where you ask questions, but not interrogate. And then you, you change their lens. A lot of people make process flows based on the outcome they're going for not as part of your process. So walk them through, right? You may go too far into contract management where that just needs to be one box versus 19 boxes, right? So again, it's, it's really an important thing to do to, to kind of bring yourself into the nucleus of, of all the different cross-functional stakeholders that it takes to, to, to engage in onboard contingents. Great. Let's move on to project number two. What's the next one on the list, Erica? And it's not going to be surprising, but it is system architecture. And this is where I find people get a little bit more nervous. I'm not technical. I don't really understand. But having a diagram that just shows how data is flowing and who has data on contingent is incredibly helpful. One of the, the sessions we did early with Wendy Stenger from, from Thompson Reuters was talking about when you have a contingent workforce program team, people assume you know this and you have all the information and that you're connecting the dots. So even though sometimes you're not the owner of the data or not, it's not being input in the system, they kind of think that you do and you should. And I fully agree with her. You should have an overarching idea of what systems are integrated with which. Is it bi-directional? How? Is it file-based? Is it API? For what purpose? Who's receiving it? Right. Just a couple things. And, and the good news is typically your IT or HRIT has these diagrams somewhere. Now, again, when was it updated when it's not? The, the good news is people on those teams, they're not afraid of drawing this out. 
they can draw it out pretty easily, right? And, and what you need is you don't need something perfectly polished. What you need is have an idea of what's going on and you can add the polish to it because it really is now you're just copying what they've done in something that looks more a professional. You can put it in a PowerPoint or you can, you know, you can draw it. But this is a this is an example of where I say, usually there's artifacts somewhere that's good enough, that tells the story well enough that you can just add your flavor to it. But it's really important that you are aware of what this looks like. You're aware. And because what it will di- what it'll typically do is you may thought that because if you have a system in place or not, you are passing, I'm going to make this up, a file with 20 different data fields on there. And what you may learn is that one of the downstream systems is only picking up four and they do not care about the other one. So while you thought you were passing it, they're not ingesting it. And that's a and then again, and that's a problem if you don't know about it. And again, I'm I'm a big proponent of the contingent workforce team kind of owning all of the non-employee elements together, and you're adjusting them from other other pieces. But you should absolutely know what pieces of data badging is holding on to versus IT, versus procurement, versus POs, versus you know you you fill in the blank. What is Workday using versus what your your VMS is using or another system is using? But being aware of what that is, you can understand again holes, you know, updates that need to be made and how your team can still ingest and have the most updated form of, form of data and how often these are all coming together. This one sounds like it was a very real lived experience of some things weren't flowing where they should have been. <laughs> it, I mean, and it was, I'll, I'll say this, the assumption that I had made at one of my companies was, hey, if I'm sending them a file, they're excited for that file. So now all these different systems have all all this information. And I, yeah, I was just surprised. Oh, IT is only showing employee versus non-employee. They're actually not taking up supplier name. We have audits on what type of computers or access the supplier has. IT doesn't have it, even though they, even though that they were the responsible for setting it up. I am. I pushed that to them. And then we saw, all right, it's not always updated. What do we do with that? So again, it's, it's one of those things about the assumption of who has what, what are they doing with it? Badging is another example. Sometimes it's just an employee versus not. Sometimes they use employee ID. Is that okay? Does legal think it's okay to have employee ID used for non-employees and employees on badging? Maybe they do, but it's a question worth making sure someone has an opinion on and being, again, being very well aware of where the data sits, how often it's updated, when you're getting it, how you're getting it, and then how it's being used. Because some people have philosophies on, do do you want all non-employee questions and reports and audits to come to you or to other cross-functional stakeholders. Some programs will say, I want it all to be to me. And this is, that makes the email that much more important. And some people will say, absolutely not. That belongs just for example, with IT. Okay, no problem. But let's make sure IT has the information they need to solve that versus IT is on the hook for it, doesn't have the information and has to come back to you anyway. Right? So like make it more efficient. The visibility is going to make you a lot more efficient. It's going to make you understand what you need, like where the gaps and the holes are. Got it. Let's move on to project number three. So, so far we've covered the system architecture and then we've just covered, and we've covered process mapping and a gap analysis. What's the next, the third next project that could set up a good elementary foundation? Yes. And this one, again, not a surprise, these fall right in line. So you have the process, system architecture, and now it's get the data. So what's this? And this sometimes is part of the system architecture project, but I call it out 
separately because I think it is important to look at what the output of the data is. I think those of us who have been in the CW profession long enough, and really anyone who's responsible for reporting our analytics, recognizes data in doesn't always mean data out easily, right? So it really is about collecting the data manually. And when I say manually, I don't mean you know on a spreadsheet, though sometimes it is a spreadsheet, but it is saying, okay, I want to pull the non-employee information from all the systems that we just looked at. So if you have a VMS or technology in place, what can you get out of it? What are the data attributes? Get it from your staffing suppliers, your known consulting partners, your outsourced vendors. So this is something I encourage when folks don't have any uh, systems in process. And they're like, I don't even know what my scope is. I don't even know how many I have. How can I even get started? Your suppliers. Every account manager worth a damn is going to have some idea of the headcount that was on site at your company, either currently and active or within this year. Now, don't tax them with saying who's been here the last five years. Keep it small and say active or within this current year, but they'll be able to provide you data. And then you can actually take a look at what you have in other systems to see if it matches. So, you know, your VMS, your suppliers, IT hardware, right? If you have an ID or identity management system, what can you get from that? Your badging list, a desktop list. Again, I go back to your HCM, like Workday, your PO system of the known suppliers that I have. What are they tracking on the PO contracts and start to put together that list of data. And what you're likely going to start to recognize is every system calls these data attributes something different. A very simple one is, is name. Is it is it contractor name? Is it contingent name? Is it non-employee name? Is it is it just name? Is it first name? Is it legal name? Is it preferred name? If you're in Brazil, is it the four names? Is it just one name? You know, it's something that's surprising. You think, oh, that's actually harder to match up than I thought it was. Is it classification? Is it supplier? But you start to recognize, oh, we're calling these things different different terms in different systems. End date is a phenomenal one because is it end date of the contract? Is it end date of the assignment? Is it end date of when they should have had access? Is it the first extension? Is it the second extension? People can have six end dates and that actually be accurate. But terming them correctly and making sure people understand how, how people are looking at it is really important when you're auditing or when you are pulling reports because a... When I think about one of the companies I worked at, we had a policy that every three months or so, we checked to see if the, the person still needed IT access. And so it really was an IT policy access end date that had a push every three months. Well, if you just looked at that as end date, it would it, people could say, oh, the assignment is ending in three months. She's only been here for three months. No, that's based on this, this policy that we want to track versus the engagement end date, which may be extended. So you had the initial engagement end date and then move. Anyway, I belabored the point too much, but just to show it's really important to understand how these systems and your partners are tracking things and what they're called, because then you can do data mapping. Some things could be changed, some cannot be, but now you have actually a data dictionary of what things are looking at in these systems. So when you're having that conversation, you're speaking apples to apples. And again, you understand what someone's consuming versus what they're not and and what you're consuming versus what you're not. And the answer is, if you're not, how can you then change that and actually get it into an integration or get it into whatever system that you're using? Definitions are so important. And I wouldn't expect it. You're, you're right. Like something like name seems like it would be something common across all platforms. It's just, you know, every single platform has something called name and they should all sync up correctly. But I, that's a great point that it's first name, sometimes preferred name, and then legal name. And there's all different ways that you can vary that 
between different systems. So having that consistent definitions will make a lot of conversations, I imagine, easier. Project number four now. What is project number four, Erica? Uh, and project number four is a little bit of that, for that, that last one that we spoke to, but it really does help with folks who are starting the program to get go, right? Maybe there's no system in place. They're not really sure. And the question comes down to, and I'll use the example of, am I breaking the law? Am I doing something that I need to be compliant? So project number four is really around those who are potentially using a lot of independent contractors without knowing it. And if they're in California and have AB5, and if they're in uh, uh, European Union or are affected by IR35, it's really around auditing your independent contractors. In the United States, it's called 1099 because it's based off the tax form that independent contractors fill out. And so why I'm going to call it audit, audit 1099 specifically for the U.S. is you can go in and ask the AP team, and you, know, you typically have to get permission and explain why you're doing it. But it's the idea of saying, show me the 1099s that we paid out in this last year or whatnot. And you can go through and do an audit of, are there anyone on that list that's first name, last name, right? Does it look like Erica Novak Consulting? Does it look like just Erica Novak? Are people getting paid on the Social Security? How long have they been here for, right? Oh, this is the fourth 1099 that we've submitted for this person. And the reason around that is you just want to understand, are you at risk? Some of them some of them make sense, right? And, and an example of this is if you've acquired a company, sometimes the leadership team, you know, they, they, they're not going to be coming over to the team, but they want to provide transitional knowledge. Very typically, we'll put them on a, you know, put them on a 1099 because they're going to be here for a while and then they're going to go away. And that's one that usually gets an exception. This makes sense. They're here for six months and then, then they're gone. Let's not, you know, carry a red, a red flag or a torch. But a lot of it's with newer companies who are, you know, establishing themselves is they're just used to doing direct work. Erica Novak Consulting sounds right. They want to get paid in this way. Great. Let's do business. It's faster. It's speedier. But now with, you know, the California legislation, as well as IR35, you just want to be aware of what you're doing. And do you have to actually convert some of these people to, to become an employee because of the role that they're doing? How long have they been here? How much you've paid them? The core of their business. And so this is a very easy project to do. And I actually recommend doing it in your entire, you know, continuing to do it for your contingent workforce program to make sure that any processes that you have in place around 1099s are working. Is it easy to get around it? If you're a VP, can you skip all processes? And, and sometimes that may be an exception that you make, but you do want to understand if there's 10 independent contractors that you're saying, okay, we're willing to roll the dice on this, this feels right. Or is it a thousand, right? So just being aware of, you know, what those independent contractors, who those independent contractors are, what they're doing, and then making a, a decision with as HR and legal together of what do we do from here? How do we clean it up? What do we continue You'll hear me say start, stop, and continue quite often because there's decision points that you make in your program as you continue to scale. So what do you start, stop, and continue with this group of independent contractors that may be you know, getting paid directly from your AP team that you need to address? And again, one of those ways that you, you kind of show your value almost immediately to the legal team, procurement team, and HR team on a simple project like that, which is typically just pulling a report and then, and then bringing eyes to it. Is this something that you could do yourself or it's a, is, what's the speci there's a specific ask that you're asking of the AP team? Yeah, it's absolutely, I mean, I, I would not recommend you do this through a third party. I would absolutely say this is something that you as an, an employee of the company say, I'm on, whether you're on HR procurement or legal or IT, wherever you sit, right? Here's what I'm trying to do. You don't need all of the data, 
but here's what I'm attempting to do. And it should be something that is only done internally because it is, it is confidential information because you may be at risk more than you thought and you do have to make some decisions. And cleaning up a process is great. Most governmental agencies, not always lawyers, but let's say governmental agencies will look at you favorably. And again, I'm not an attorney. Don't take this as legal advice. <laughs> Hashtag. But if you are trying to change your process and policies, you've recognized it and you're going to change that's looked on favorably, even if you are under audit. And so again, like this is a way that you are able to show the contingent workforce program. Maybe you're small and mighty, maybe you're person of one shows immediate value and cross-functional partnership and something that can be done in honestly less than a week. All right. Let's move on to project number five then. What is it? Reveal it. No, no. <laughs> project model number, oh, sorry. Project number five is really about just being thoughtful about your support model, right? Most of us who started in contingent workforce, you are used to being a person of one for quite some time, unless you're very intentional. A very common in the last 10 years has been, you're a person of one with maybe a master vendor. You're a person of one. Oh, you got a, and you have, now have an MSP, a managed service provider that's helping you out with kind of like the, the, the recruitment of contractors or, or supplier consolidation and centralization. But you don't want that to continue to be the case. In most companies, your contingent workforce program is growing. And whether you start with just a contractor population and then expand to all non-employees, or you immediately start to all employees, or you're starting in the United States and you expand globally, you want to be really thoughtful about what you're asking and get it in people's heads on what you are looking and planning to do earlier on. So it doesn't feel like ad hoc. Or I remember a conversation I had where... Basically, people weren't getting headcount until they broke down and cried to their manager because no one really recognizes a, a lot of the hard work contingent workers do. Sorry, contingent workforce program managers are doing. They just kind of say it's fine, right? A lot of the focus on the employee, but no one wants to have a breakdown as a rationale for a headcount. It should be very thoughtful, right? So are you internally resourcing versus using the third party versus the hybrid? And when I say hybrid, and this is typical of large companies is, there's some work being done by employees, some some and some done by an MSP, and sometimes there's a master vendor. And so it's not the same same resourcing model in all in all countries or in all all categories of what the labor is. And so, but did you do that on accident or were you thoughtful about it? Shared resources versus dedicated resources. A lot of things that contingent do, especially in the early early years, can absolutely be done through someone helping your team at twenty percent, maybe fifty percent. And again, you guys have heard me talk about uh, career mobility for folks who are up and coming and who want to do something more, right? You can use shared resources across your teams in different countries, around HR and procurement to help you with different areas that you can give leverage. But you have to be thoughtful about the ask and, and putting some, some guardrails on that so their current manager doesn't say, whoa, both be 20%, now it's 80%. But it is a way that you can kind of say, fantastic, that person should come to my team, right? Open a new headcount for that person. But is it dedicated fully to contingent or is it dedicated to something else, right? And this goes for internal as well as external, right? A lot of smaller programs are surprised to find that the people who are helping them are not 100% dedicated to them or on site when it was pre-COVID. So what are your intentions on that? What activities do you have that are going to take people's times up on that? And how does that grow? The other is what's being done across HR versus procurement. Is it all only in one organization versus the other? Usually there's a mix of two, especially if you're looking across the whole non-employee classification, right? Procurement 
does a lot of work on statement of work and outsource resources. That's okay, right? Don't try to pull all of that. But what does that look like? How do you insert yourself? What's that? What's that breakdown? And I know a lot of companies now are trying to shift the model. Procurement's moving to, to HR. What does that look like? What is what does that require to do that? Right, the big conversation that's being had. And then I've already hit on same com- same country versus global, but it's being thoughtful of okay, if I'm a team of one. I can probably keep it this level, right? If we're thinking about quality, efficiency, costs, and risk, I can keep it here and maintained probably across three countries or maybe across 200 contractors or maybe across this level of excellence. Time to fill is going to be 45 days versus 15 days. But if those barometers start to shift, right? I'm getting pushed for time to fill in 15 days. I'm now in nine nine countries or 19 countries. I'm now across all classifications. Here's what I need to actually do that. And so when you share that with leadership ahead of time of what the scale would likely look like, then your headcount ask or your resource to say, I want to go to an MSP or a third party or a different vendor model, right? Then it becomes we're leaning into what we talked about before. It's a lot harder to argue, right, against the, well, you were on board with how we were going to scale six months ago. We're here faster than we thought. What can we do versus someone saying, I didn't agree to this. I didn't really know. Why can't you take on it? Just do a worse job. And that's everyone's favorite. A manager saying, you keep this on, but try to keep the same quality or just do a worse job. Most of us are overachievers who want to do a phenomenal job. And we know that manager is not going to remember what they just said at a review time. So if you set the stage of what you think, and it doesn't have to be five years, let's be honest, 18 to three years, sorry, 18 months to three years is about right. And especially come COVID. A lot of folks have been thrown for, are we bringing employees back or contingent? You know, trying to pretend that you can you can put together a support model for what five years down the road looks like when you're not even sure what nine months is. So COVID changes dramatically, but, but show your leadership team that you've thought it through. Why numbers, why geography, why language, why system, why number of suppliers actually impacts what you're trying to do. And again, then you tie it back to like your, your customer base. What do folks think that you are? If you're a technology company who's doing a lot of things manually, does that feel good to the workers you're bringing in? Or does it feel like is this more of a front, right? So think about kind of consumer and customer and candidate image when you're thinking about how you can actually scale uh, scale your program. And again, it'll, it'll ebb and flow. It will likely change. But having something documented and a picture someone can look at to go back to and then change is a very thought leadership exercise that I think a lot of contingent workforce program managers miss because they're so used to saying, get their recs filled versus how do we scale? And that's how you keep yourself above the fray of being a tactical arm and move it into being more something around a leadership and thought provoking. My follow-up question was going to be, <laughs> what are some of the pros and cons of some of these different support models? But I feel like that's a whole nother episode, but there's just a lot of different facets to consider when you're thinking about things like shared resources, HR procurement, internally resourcing this list part alone internally resourcing versus third party versus hybrid that alone could be a whole conversation but i think we'll have to schedule that for another time because we do need to get to project number six dun, dun, dun. all right project number six is less of a project and more of a mindset but it is the idea of formalizing alignment and communication between hr procurement and finance some of the some of the Best programs have two of the three where the programs are trying to get to and you start to hear total talent management. You hear about visibility. 
three of three is where you need to get to. And so again, knowing that this session is spoken for new people who are new in the role or new to the program kind of thing, this sometimes seems overwhelming. Oh my gosh, should I speak to this level of, will they care what I'm saying? And the answer is yes. And this is something that I wish I would have done better at one of the companies that I did because I was part of the HR program. I kind of assumed incorrectly that fantastic. All I have to figure out is working with procurement and finance. And that team, we had phenomenal. I probably was better partners with HR, sorry, with procurement and finance than I was with my own internal HR team. But what it, what it bit me in is I forgot to bring it back up to leadership on the HR side. I wasn't supposed to be the only representative. I was supposed to bring another representative, right? Tying it all back into whether it was my manager or my boss's boss, but bringing everyone together on what's going on. Connect the dots. What are we hiring? Hey, do we have a headcount freeze or is it open? Hey, even though it's open, we're hiring a, I almost swore, a crazy amount of contractors or do you know we're spending 15 million with this one professional services company? Why are we doing this? You start small, right? Because some things you don't need that many updates on. So I always say, figure out who the real relationships are. And sometimes you start at the lower levels and work your way up. Now, the danger of that is sometimes you start on the lower levels, they think you're at the lower level. But the reason why I think this is important is the lower levels have information and they're, and they're doing the work and they sometimes know more so and better than what the data is saying, right? So understanding what's going on, but you do want to level it up and then make it a habit to connect of just want to make sure we're on the same page. We thought, you know, we we're going to hire 2000 employees, you know, for 2021. Uh, well, actually they make this 2020 because it can be backward. 2020, we hired, you know, 1900, but we hired 500 contractors. And do you know that we had 1700 other non-employees that kind of came through? Was that something that we expected? Did you expect to see that more in IT versus, you know, more versus sales? But when you start with just connecting the dots, it becomes basic governance. And I laugh because some companies, especially Bay Area Tech, will be like, boo, governments and consulting terms. And we don't want to get into that fray. And you don't have to. Because you don't want to feel overly formalized with your company, where you are on, you know, the, your culture, your current state, and what your company wants to be known for, right? It's very different when you think about uh, Slack as a company versus uh, a bank, right? Very different reputations on how they expect, but the connectivity becomes practice. It becomes a muscle that's exercised. You know, I had that one, you know, I had that one report contingent brought to me that showed what we had last quarter. I need that again. Let's make sure that I'm listening because then they become insiders to the business. And again, when I think about the last fireside that we had with Dean Edwards and James Hudson, it was really about how HR and procurement are trying to be relevant. They want to be advisors. They want to be consultants and they're competing with each other Versus like arming themselves together to go to their leadership and say, here's what we're seeing together of talent, right? It should be one conversation that the team is supporting each other in. And so just starting that early and just being mindful of that, you may not have all the data. You may not have all the systems. The answer may be like, we don't know. <laughs> and come now in a positive way about COVID, most companies are saying, I want to know. So saying we don't know may actually give you guys a business case to say, but we want to know what's the right tools, the services, the processes we would put in line to actually start that. But you have to have the connectivity and the relationship with those people to start there. And it will get better and grow. And guess what? You're going to be the one to push. Most people will say, I don't need this now. Is it an emergency? Is it a fire drill? I'm trying to grow. Your goal is it may be 15 minutes a quarter, 15 minutes a quarter. Let's just talk about what we see. Are these the same numbers? Is this what you're hearing? 
Let me arm you with information to take you to another leader. And that will grow. And then it'll become 30 minutes. And then it'll become reports. And then it becomes like the really connective tissue of how you guys are one team thinking about talent. That started small, but I guarantee you and I promise you, as your company gets more mature and your program and your processes and your systems, that's me something they're going to pull you in repeatedly because now you're giving them the visibility of how to make decisions. So it's less of a project and more of a mindset and knowing that you're going to be the annoying bug for a little bit and you've got to be okay with that. You're going to poke them. You're going to schedule the meeting. You're going to set the agenda, but take that as less of another tactical thing you have to do and take that as an ability to say, I shape and form the conversation. They may say nothing in that first meeting, but you get to shape why that matters. And if you're having that full visibility mindset, you've now put it in their mind why it's important. So be thoughtful of your language, come prepared, have practiced, work with someone to make sure that you're speaking to the, what, their, what their thoughts are. But that ownership is going to do you spades when you think about career, career development, a leadership mindset, getting in front of the C-level team. So start small and grow. Yeah, that also was in my mind when you're mentioning this interconnectivity between all these organizations or departments is it's great for your career too. It just, uh, you're getting a lot of visibility and strengthening those relationships. So I, I can see that being very important to uh, building blocks for the future of the program that will be necessary to establish to get that initial growth. But I think those are it. Those are the six projects. That's alignment and communication between HR procurement and finance, the right support model, auditing 1099s, trying to understand the current scope, system architecture, and process mapping and gap analysis. There's another 9,994 to go, (laughs) but we'll get there. Any closing thoughts, Erica? Nope. Again, I go back to don't be overwhelmed. The good news is it's not rocket science. It takes time and effort. You can absolutely do it. But this is something that lies within your control, which is what should make this exciting. If you are a program manager who's done this before, know every company you go to need to do this. And I would refresh this. I mean, in an ideal world, it's at least once a year, but at least twice a year, you should be doing this to make sure you still have the same understanding of your company as it grows. Perfect. Let's close it out. Thank you all for listening and hope for you to tune in next time. Bye-bye. Bye, guys.